Well, Derek, it's another day and another age and another album. It's been a while since we went through Sawdust, but we're ready to go through day and age now. We might have to revisit a little bit of Sawdust soon, but it's time to lose touch. We can go back and revisit anything at any time if things change or if we want to. We can always go back and readdress, but it's kind of strange. I own this album. I don't remember liking it as much as... Uh, uh, so me and Jimmy are talking about upcoming things, and we're going to get into day and age. And Jimmy says, what songs do you want to cover? Because, yeah, we haven't covered every song. Uh, we usually just go with the hits or things about Nephi or things that we think we can add some value to. So almost everything. <laughs> so Almost everything. So I, I go and I, I bring up the track list, and I get looking, and I don't know if we're going to stick to this format or not, but I said, I, I want to cover everything. <laughs> like, I could, I can go through one, but I, didn't, I couldn't see one that I didn't want to talk about, which kind of surprised me because I thought, oh, there'll be like a couple singles and, and maybe something that we can relate back to Nephi. I mean, obviously, there's going to be like Human and, and Spaceman and uh, Dustland or something. But I'm going through them all and, and starting with what we're going to talk about today with, with Losing Touch. I was like, hey, we can't, we can't skip that. And I, I remember when the, the album came out. I think it was was it two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. My fandom wasn't where it was with the Hot Bus, or even Sam's Town, as far as keeping up with with the band. Uh, at this point, I had different obligations in life, uh, starting you know career, uh, getting relationships, marriage, all that kind of thing starting. Uh, to come into to play with my life personally, and I think that was probably uh, the case with a lot of people our same, similar age or, or thereabouts. But I don't remember having a great affinity for the album. I don't know if it was something I went through once or or something and just thought, oh, whatever. Uh, but going back uh, probably a year or so ago, I remember playing the album the whole way through, and it's probably when I was thinking, oh, we're gonna get done with sawdust here, and I'm gonna have to come up with something to say about day and age. And it's it's a really I mean, it's a really good album. Again, preaching to the choir here, but I don't know. Sometimes you got to give things a second uh, chance or opinion, or maybe it's just letting things settle a little bit and coming at it with a new frame of, of mind or reference. Uh, even with with losing touch, the one thing that I have got thinking is when you start an album, that first song really sets the tone. It can make or break if I want to listen to the rest of the album or how I see the rest of the songs. Not just with the killers, but you go and and look at a lot of uh, different artists. But I mean, we'll we'll talk about the killers because that's what we're talking about. But you you go to like West Hills, or you go to Interlude, Interlude one. But I mean, yeah. but it does it sets the tone for the album, and uh, I don't think this is an exception here. I think this kind of starts off with that uh, little piano and, and ramps up, and before you know it, you're invested into uh, into the song. So. Well, before anybody calls me out, Samstown is is the first song on on the album, not uh, not Interlude. <laughs> I don't know. Do uh, you have any memory of yes. of two thousand and eight, Jimmy? Or yeah, I, I actually have a lot. And like you said, it's a similar situation where I think after Sawdust came out, came out, um, by then I had, you know, I wasn't like highly on the edge of my seat, anticipating the next album coming out and. I definitely bought it when it came out, and uh, 2008 was the year that I uh, got married and graduated from college. Started my first job in December, so it came out in October. I was doing an internship, and I remember listening to 
day and age, listening to Human, you know, wondering what the lyrics meant. <laughs> As I was finishing that internship, and then we we my first job was in Texas, so we had to drive to Texas. We had to drive down twice, I think. And I remember listening to Day and Age on my MP3 player through the cassette adapter in our in my Dodge Intrepid on the way down to Texas. Uh, going over Highway C. I mean, just from the beginning of the trip, first out of Utah County. I don't know why that is a memory that sticks out to me. Listen to that. It was kind of probably because it was since my wife was with me. It was introducing her to it. You know, hey, here's the Larry's Killers. Wait till you get to this part about Track Street. I can tell you about it. Yeah, we, how it relates to Nephi. Nephi is about Nephi. Then you're just waiting and waiting. And uh, oh man, these guys are from Vegas. But yeah, even I mean, it, it's not one that really stuck with me as like a, an all-time great. And so it kind of. With all the songs that I have, not humble brag. No, it's just since 2008, I've I've accumulated a few Quite more albums, a few more MP3s. Uh, a lot of songs have come out since then, but it'll come on. And I, I never seek it out to to play it through like I have recently because we're going to talk about it. And when you said we'll start with losing touch, and I thought. As soon as I think about losing touch, I'm like, that is a great song. Yeah. I love the song. Why don't I ever listen to the song? It's like, oh, it's because it's from day and age, and in my mind, it's like, it's just old, old news, you know. I don't even, know. Uh, not to say don't judge a book by the cover or whatever, but going back, you got sawdust, and you got this arm made out of wood laying there, or you got like whatever's going on with hot fuss with those buildings, and uh, Sam's Town. We got a ram and a trailer court and the McQueen there that we can say is uh, related to the uh, bathing beauty, whether or not it's true or not. And then this one, you got like this mosaic tile artsy looking thing. And I'm, my first impression, and it's purplish. And I'm like, what's what's this? You know, that was probably just at the get go. The, the CD itself is kind of that same uh, tile look, I guess. Is a tile mosaic? I don't know. Yeah. It's got that that thought to it. And uh, we we know Brandon's artsy. He he gets inspired by artists, and we'll get into probably all this at some point with this album. But my first appearances too is like I don't know maybe they're maybe maybe this is now their mainstream or maybe this doesn't the same band I remember my, uh, initial thoughts you know it was on I think iPads or I whatever the thing was at the time was it iPad what was the first iPod player something like that it was on the cover of the iPod oh iPod yeah iPod Touch probably. and I'm like this is just I don't know maybe maybe they're too it's not the small little little uh band i remember that i in my mind this killer's up and coming scrap now now they're a major major player they're they're one of the top bands at the time in in the world uh still could be argued or debated but they're not this up and coming underground secret or you knew them first or, or whatever this is their mainstream they're on the apple ipod touch nano second generation yeah, it's probably just the ipod <laughs> whatever <laughs> and, right and it's not this uh Wow, that's a that's a weird cover. That's got weird. What's that Ram got to do? And it's like this is like an artsy. This is like an art project. Now it's like this is like a a creative. They're they're a band. I don't know. It's not like a gritty. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, Sam's Town or like a. Yeah, it's it's smooth. It's yeah. it's it's uh it's been polished. I don't know. I guess I wasn't polished yet. <laughs> I, I was still in the uh, what's that rock spinner you're thing? Worried it might be you're in the tumbler. The tumbler. I'm you're still worried. In the tumbler. You're worried it was going to be a little overproduced. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. Let's get into it. Uh, we'll talk about the album, I guess, off and on. Well, I'm I'm hoping to get the artist of the the album art. Well, I, I on, missed on the show. I missed so, apologize. It's it's beautiful, but like you said, it's well, it it's not what you expected from 
no, where you had in the past. And, it, sure. and it leads more to when we get the newer albums. Not to jump ahead too much, but you got art's a big thing going forward with, with albums of the killers and Brandon's inspiration of how he writes his songs and sits down and, and we'll stare at the pictures and come up with the ideas. So, but yeah, I mean, Sam's town and pressure machine compared with imploding the mirage and day and age, it's just, you know, they're, they're swapping back and forth between the different types of, of feel that you get just by looking. I mean, you judge a book by the cover. So I'm sure the, I'm sure Brandon and the, the guys are all involved in deciding about the album art and the cover art and because it's a big deal. Oh yeah, it is a big deal, and it it didn't uh, hurt sales. It was a very commercially successful album for him as well. So we looked into that. But let's get into the losing touch, Jimmy. Again, like when I was looking at it, same thing is like we can't miss this. It's a good song, and it's the opener song. But it doesn't. It's like one of those songs that when people listen to it, or when you talk to somebody about it that's heard it, they're like, "That's a really good song." But most people, casual Killer fans probably haven't heard this song or if they have it's been in 2008 when they first got the album and went through it and then they just stuck with with the hits especially um that's good to be the time where you just buy and download the singles like it used to be you buy the album you buy the cd you'd listen to it all because you spent 20 dollars on the thing and you weren't gonna be able to get another one for a while because you, you spent all your payday money so you had to listen to every track and you got to know it uh more modern era people just get familiar with this song and when you listen to it it's just like one of those things that could have been a hit on its own. I don't know how many people are familiar with this song. If you're if you're more of a casual Killers uh, fan, I don't know that they perform it a lot live or anything. But it's really, I mean, it, it's up there. It's uh, it's up there as a good one. Yeah, and I I like it a lot. It's I think what kind of turned me off from day and age was. You know, Human and Spaceman are they're great songs, but they're they're definitely a different feel. Uh, the Rolling Stone article that came out when the when the album came out was called "Killers Return with Disco Epics." <laughs> Brandon said about it that this is from Wikipedia, and this is and it quotes says Flower stated the concept for the album is a continuation of Samstown, saying it's like looking at Samstown from Mars, and I get that from Spaceman and from Human, but I don't from Losing Touch. It's definitely not the same style as those two songs, so I like it a little bit more than the than those ones. The other thing, once you brought up that Rolling Stone thing, is it's kind of is it. It's the Rolling Stone magazine was so hard and critical about Samstown, and it wasn't this great album. And Brandon Godless, no, it's the best album ever. And critically, it wasn't. But the fans turned it into like all time classic favorite. Uh, when this came out, it was it was like oh we were wrong. It feels like they did it like a real abrupt like oh, we were wrong and now we love the killers. And so Rolling Stones, given this high reviews and praise and like they're, that the boys are back or whatever, it's like, no, they're, it's the same band. You guys are just trying to cover up for, you, you missed. Like the sophomore album's usually the slump. You guys came out all critical and you missed. And now it's like, oh, this is great. It's the disco <laughs> rock space. David Bowie meets, uh, you know, Johnny Cash album and all this. And it's like, no, I mean, I don't know. To me, it felt like a little bit of an overcorrection there with uh, the critics, too. Like, oh, we all love the killers. We all love these guys. And and my life and stuff at the time was just like, I'll, I'll get back to it. I'll start a podcast here in about 20 years. <laughs> about it. But yeah, it definitely, uh, Losing Touch feels like that um, continuation. Uh, it does make sense in that, that sense. It would fit in with uh, some of the other albums. 
it kind of easing you into what's what's about to come. Yeah, yeah. Hold, hold your horses, and it does get a little more poppy and a little less. I don't know what the word is that that guttural feel. I guess is is the best way of putting it. But uh, it does. It starts off with this slow little uh, piano coming in, and and another thing in the in the song is I think we're kind of introduced to this uh, prodigal son type narrative again, which obviously is addressed in the future. I think this is Brandon, whether or not the church is, is uh, preaching from the, the New Testament again, or if this is just a story that connects with him. Uh, we see tones here of what would later go on to be a whole other a whole other song, in my opinion. So um, I don't know if we want to go lyric by lyric or, or break it down verse by verse, but it, it seems like you could take this a few different ways. As a band, they're getting success. They've been on tour for forever together. Uh, Brandon's starting to have a family. He's got kids. He's got other responsibilities than just the band. He's got family things going on. And he's got these fans, which I love him. But with the fame and the fortune comes the distrust, comes the paranoia, comes the, are you really a fan? Or do you just want to be close to me for whatever you get out of it? And I think going down the lyrics, you can just go the main lane main lane, and keep to the story form of this is how it is, this is the story play out, or you can you can look into a few different things like, is this a personal relationship? Is this about, you know, the early fans that got too close and now Brandon sold out, like Derek's sitting here saying, it wasn't, it was too polished for me. You know, you can sell, like, you, to his face, you're going to be one way, but when he turns around, you start spreading those rumors. I wish they would make another Sam's or another... Yeah, we're a or sawdust. We're, you know, they're not touring in, in uh, New Brunswick. Why why are they too big for New Brunswick? Like, so I think if you look down and, and play this out, uh, I think there could be a few uh, double meanings and, and innuendos, if you will, Jimmy. Uh, and it goes to that, you know, console him in his darkest hour. For Brandon, what what's the darkest hour? I, I mean... You can talk about help things going on. You can talk about just in theories. You can talk about, I don't know, um, all sorts of things. But it kind of sets that tone of like, okay, the, the, the person telling this story had a lot of trust with this person. When things were the lowest, this is who they went to to, to talk around and console with. And boy, it it, uh, it escalates from here. <laughs> well, I like, you know, you bring in Brandon's personal experience and how uh, the next line could this could this be that the truth is always gray and just he's probably worked his way through some of that early fame and deciding that you know maybe things weren't as clear cut when he was a kid maybe it wasn't as bad I don't know just going from from Nephi to Vegas and the decisions he was having to make and he's talked a lot about the early days of of the band and I think he's trying to to show with this lyric that it's it's not always clear cut obviously. Yeah, and I think that's the same for everybody. As you go from uh, growing up and developing, you have a very, at least I did. I mean, we joke about me and Christian rock a lot. But I had to like, oh, rock and roll's like shout at the devil and Christian music's like praise Jesus. And there's no in between. Like you're either down headbanging or you're up on the harp, but there's gray. There's, there's intermix and that's with everything in life. There's nobody's just good or nobody's just evil at least for the most part like i don't know if hitler had any redeeming qualities i don't know probably somebody probably i mean i don't know i'm not gonna sit here and defend the man but <laughs> you <laughs> know call. but the pope on the other end probably has some things that he's trying to work on like there's nobody's 
a hundred percent one way or the other. And I think that's uh, with Brandon and, and figuring out, like you say, he goes from Nephi to Vegas. We talk about that a lot. Nephi in our eyes is more of the Pope and Vegas is more of the, the, the rock star highway to hell, but really it's not like there's problems in Nephi and there's problems in Vegas and there's great things in Vegas and there's great things in Nephi. And in between there's a lot of gray, like, you know, and, and in your personal life, you figure that out too. Like everything I believed isn't necessarily correct. And everything I disbelieved isn't necessarily incorrect, but somewhere in there, you got to fight it out and you find out, Hey, there is gray in this world. You know, there's probably a lot more gray than what I ever thought. I think the older you get and the more you uh, live through life, you realize there's a lot more gray than you ever imagined. And, and I'm not going to get into all the different shades and stuff, Jimmy, because that's a whole different podcast of the, of the 50 Shades of Gray. But yeah, I, I think that's just, you know, setting the tone for uh, what's to come for the album, for the song of like, hey, I'm consulting with you. You can feel the betrayals coming on just from that first line. And then it's like, I don't know what's going on in that conversation, but it turns out everything's not always as it seems. Um, then we get into like, I'm just going to skip ahead. I mean, he's in no hurry, so whatever. But <laughs> uh, but then you go and tell his friends that he's losing touch. And I think that could be uh, kind of this fame. Like he, he gets, Brandon goes from working at the Gold Coast and being the bellman or whatever to like international rock star. And along the way, uh, he's, not been shy about saying he was almost playing a part and he was acting like he thought he was supposed to be acting of this uh, jerk rock star that would start, you know, trouble and drama and, and say things, just get headlines. And he's being encouraged by uh, record executives and people to, hey, go out, break some things, go out and like be a jerk or whatever. And like uh, this is this wild, crazy brand of flowers. And we all know, at least I think we all know, that's not that's not the Brandon that we grew up with around in Nephi. I don't think that's who Brandon is. And he's came back to be more of that's not who he is. Although he is confident and he does have a confidence about himself and he knows what he's doing at this point. He's a successful guy that's making a good career of this, but you have this same thing of this person that's going and telling people, Hey, it's the buddy. It's like the guy that you could sell all your secrets to turning around and then going to tell people like, Oh, he's so out of touch. Like, you know, he only has red M&Ms or, or whatever. He's got this rider. If you could see what was on his rider, like he's so out, like he used to be down the Gold Coast slumming it with us and we'd go have a uh, Coke and a cigarette on breaks. And now the guy won't even come and say hi to us when when he's in town or, or what. I, like that's kind of the contrast I'm seeing of like, <laughs> you're so above it now. You're out of touch. You don't know what's going on. We used to be friends. I don't know. I feel he's trying to interact with these two sides of himself of, because you do have to live a different life. Like, Brandon can't go down to the Gold Coast and just walk around and talk to the old buddies or, or whoever. He can't just go up to Canyon Hills and play nine nine uh, holes without the whole town coming around. <laughs> so you got to be kind of out of touch, right? Like, he can't just go anywhere anymore. He can't, like, everything's act like everything's the yeah, same. Yeah, he's going to get mobbed. It's going to ruin his day. It's going to ruin his family's day. It's going to take up all his time. And at the end, he probably gets upset. TMZ's there and catches him yelling at people to leave him alone. And then you're on the news because you're, look at this guy. He's such a diva. But in the same, you, you've got your tight circle. And that's who you can fight to. And that's who you tell things to. And, it's, and it sounds like somebody in the inner circle might have uh, took some, I don't know, one of their own fame to go out and say, 
hey, you don't really know this guy here. This is the real Brandon. Or, or That's the sense I'm getting from the story, Jimmy, but it could all be just a bunch of fiction and mean something totally different than that, too. Well, it says, fill their heads with rumors of impending doom. It must be true. It's, I mean, right after having said that the truth is always gray, I mean, just because there's people saying things doesn't make it true, obviously, just because the rumors are out there. I mean, but a lot of times people jump to those kind of conclusions like, oh, did you hear this? I heard that. I heard that he smokes now. Yeah, it must be true because he's, he's I heard it from a reliable source. You know, Derek has a podcast and he said it. Yeah, but in the same, you think about the band. Like, they've been together 24-7 for how many years now? Six years? Did they start in 2002? Somewhere in there. Uh, somewhere in there. Somewhere early 2000. They've been together for close to probably over half a decade. And every night on the road, every night in Newtown, every night playing it could be a little bit of their... Because we know after this, Brandon makes a solo record and they kind of take a break. So this could be infighting in within the band coming out as well as far as everything's not getting together. Uh, we're not all clicking. I mean, we put on the space and go out and we're a band. And we know this happens with lots of bands of like, they can't stand each other, but they'll go out and perform because that's how they make their money. And then they're back, separate hotel rooms, separate buses, separate whatever. I don't know exactly if that's what's happening with the killers at this time but we know that after this album wasn't it the flamingos after this right and they take a break the best though i remember uh they have the solo record come out and they kind of take a break after this so they go on tour with this record and that could have been an comp it could have been from all that but uh, just looking through this too it could be you know some strife going on through the band as far as like there's all these rumors. Are they going to break up? Do they like each other? I hear Brandon and Ronnie got in a fist fight after the band, after they played in Portland, Oregon, or whatever. And Dave and, and Mark won't go talk to them. You know, there's always rumors and, and things going around with the band. And in that aspect, you got these magazines out there that are, that's, that's what they get paid. This is kind of before the whole uh, internet craze took off where you get the clicks and the headlines. But it was kind of the same thing with, with magazines. And there was some internet early internet stuff going uh, as far as like, if you put the headline up there and it's salacious, people are going to click to see what it says. So it could be something about that effect too of like the killers. They're this great band. They just put out this album, but they're going to break up because they can't stand each other. And rumors, it's must, it must be true, Jimmy. You read it on the internet. They're talking about it on the podcast. It has to be. They know something that I don't know. And in the truth, it's great. Like you always like all your coworkers all the time. You get along with them all the time. You ever want to break? Who knows what goes into that? But I do think after this uh, was the Flamingo, and they did have a little break. I don't know. If it was, is... yeah. It was 20, 2010, Flamingo came out, and then Battleborn was 2012. So I don't know if this is signs of an impending... Uh... I mean, there's even up to this last year, we've had rumors of they're going to break up and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I think it could play into that somewhat, too, of just... Just rumor innuendo, the higher up you are, the more people are looking at you and the more they kind of like they want, they love to see you succeed, but they can't wait to see you fall and talk about it. And Brandon's been put in that spot where they come out of hot fuss and they're this hot up and coming band. Nobody really cares about sawdust except for the fans. And Sam Stan was supposed to flop and it didn't. So they just kind of kept going up and everybody's waiting for them to come down. And instead of being this nice little upcoming band, now there's some pressure coming and there's people starting to talk and Brandon's starting to hear all this stuff like, hey, these guys were interviewing me uh, uh, 
week or two ago and they thought I was great, but now they're printing this crap. I think it can be applied many different directions, but I think the main thing is you think that you're comfortable with somebody, you think that you have a good sense of direction, you can trust them, and they're out backbiting and you get word back to you of, we thought we were close and now they're out saying all this. It was black and white. Now there's there's gray in here and there's that are implying things that may or may not be true. People are believing it because they're they're saying it and they are close to me. And I think that's just kind of getting all that out. And for a starting song of an album, you just have to sit back and say, oh, where's this going to end up? Because it's uh, it, it's taken off and it, it's leading us down a path of, of a lot of speculation. So it's interesting to look uh, where he repeats, console me in my darkest hour in the next line. Three lines later, he says, I'm sure it was the consolation prize. I, I never p- put those two together that uh, being consoled and getting a consolation prize, essentially a consolation prize is to console you for not winning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in the in the first verse, uh, the first line says console, the last line says conceal, and this time it says console and then consolation. So he, there's a lot of play on words in his lyrics that you don't catch if you don't look at it this close. So it's it's cool to see because I've never that's something I never got before. There was some speculation over Roman or Roming. Um, yeah, after having lived in in Rome, I definitely thought it was Roman. I always thought it was Roman. Uh, yeah, I can see either way, and I think that plays into this album, especially with human, as far as uh, grammar and what's meant and what should be and shouldn't be put there. We'll get into that in the next episode. I think Brad takes some of this pretty personally, and I guess why wouldn't you? But I don't know. The, the lyrics I've read say Roman, like the city of Rome. But I've also seen some online that say Roman, like R-O-A-M. Yeah, so I don't know. The Vagabond, uh, just somebody that's going around and spreading rumors. And I think either way you could play it off, but I don't know what's 100% accurate on that. Yeah, I don't think the Rome, Rome Italy version makes much sense, but that's what I've always thought. So it makes more sense to be a vagabond that is roaming around. I guess, I, I don't know, was was Rome known for having a lot of vagabonds back in the day? No, but it was uh, it's, was known for having vandals. So maybe there could be something more implied there. Well, I think it's just the, the guy Robert Brown person, yeah, spreading rumors. and uh... Especially when he says you made your way back home. So it would make sense that you were roaming as a vagabond if you're now making your way back home in the prodigal, like, yeah, I, I kind of took it that way. Saying. The the prodigal son uh, reference, um, as far as like you left home, you caused all sorts of havoc, and now you're coming back. Uh, I don't know if that's what was implied here, but uh, with Brandon and going down uh, the path, we know that story's been important to him enough that he's shared it with producers and produced a whole other song about it. So I I don't know for sure, but in my mind that that fits the narrative. Well, I like I like reading these lyrics now that uh, Pressure Machine's been out for a few years, and we've been talking about it for a few years. To for it to say the legend grows of how you got lost, but you made your way back home, because to me that's the story of Brandon coming back to terms with his childhood in Nephi, and you know he hated it growing up, but now he has a, a fondness for it. He's he's made his way back home in a sense in that way. Yeah, and I think that could be applied for all of us in different aspects of life. You kind of get that rebellious streak, and you go off to do whatever you're going to do, and eventually you come back to what's comfortable or to where you're accepted, whether that's a home or a group of friends or a career or your 
family, whatever that is. I think, uh, I think we can all relate to that as far as like, I'm in no hurry. And everybody thinks that you're just losing touch. As the song says, like you're not connected anymore. He's too busy trying to make a, a career of it. He wants to just, he's just chasing money or he's just chasing women or, or fame or fortune or whatever. And at the end of the day, you realize what's important to you and you come back and you haven't lost touch. You get back in connection with your roots and, and figure out that the, the black and white can mix. There can be some gray. You can have a great career and still be the person that you've always been because that's, you know, where you're most comfortable and hopefully going to be most successful. Well, and to, to think of why, um, what his parents must have felt after having leaving Las Vegas to get away from it, to take their kids away from it and to have Brandon want to move back as a teenager that this this worry would be that he was going to go sell his soul like a Roman vagabond. Yeah, I could see that too. Of like, you don't get it. You don't know what's going on there. Uh, we did all we could to get you out of the situation and you run straight back into it, kid. Well, and to think, uh, just as I'm reading this about, I heard you found a wishing well in the city, console me in the darkest hour, and you throw me down. I had never thought of that as throwing him down the wishing well. Like... <laughs> <laughs> We have goals and dreams for what we want you to be. You know, you've lost touch with that. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Or it could be that you're seeking fame and fortune and, and, uh, yeah, you got thrown down the the well. You lost touch. You, you, you went and got corrupted, so to say. Like, you're just chasing after things that aren't where you should be chasing after things and the wishing well. You're trying to make a wish, but now look at you. You've ended up down in it with, with all these horrible, people chasing dreams that are never going to come true. I don't know. You can just go down uh, a lot of rabbit holes there. Whether or not that's what Brandon was writing about or not, I guess we don't know, but there's a lot to speculate about. One thing I would say is if you haven't heard that song or haven't heard it in a while, this is what we're going to be covering here for a little bit. So we're going to tell you to listen to the album anyways, but go back and, and listen to it and uh, put on that new set of ears or that new mindset of where you're at now in life. Or And some people, this was their favorite album. They get it. This is their song. But uh, it was kind of like when we were talking about uh, Sawdust and we hadn't listened to a lot of those songs or hadn't in a while. And we have people coming out saying, man, that song with Lou Reed, that's the best killer song ever. Like, this one's up there. Losing Touch is, it's a great song. So I, I just say, if you haven't listened to it, if you're just listening to the pod to support me and Jimmy or to find things to, to hate about us or, or say, oh, they don't know what, what they're doing. They don't understand this at all. Just go back and listen to the song and, you know, make up your own conclusion. Uh, what's it mean? What's it mean to you in your life? <laughs> Tell us. No, I mean, you know, I think everybody gets to a point in their life where like, you got to figure out what works for you and that's what you got to go with. And that's not going to be completely white, squeaky clean, but it's not going to be uh, hopefully not seedy and just undermining everything either. So you, you find that gray area that works for you. And uh, we have a phone call. I'm going to edit everything out. But I have, I have a couple friends that were really close in high school. I have one friend that was calling me as we're doing this. And they were inseparable in high school. But now they've kind of went their own ways and had some more of a falling out. And one of the friends is moving to the same city as the other friend. So there might be a little reconnection here. It's kind of the same parallel, just saying in life in general, of like, you know, there's rumors, there's backbiting, there's, you think that this is, you know, it, this is just gossip in life. It's not just Brandon and the killers and the band. This is like happens every day with everybody. So there's been somewhat of a, a falling out 
but now there might be a, a coming back together, uh, at, might be reconnected, Jimmy. So I think these are universal stories that apply to everybody, whether or not Brandon's talking about his personal life, uh, the band, the public in general, or just making a story. I think it's relatable because it's, it's real life. Well, I want to give a shout out to Tommy Marth. <laughs> Tommy Marth played saxophone on Losing Touch, and it's an excellent touch uh, to the song. So shout out to Tommy Marth. There's another thing I wanted to throw in here. I didn't know if I'd do it for human or for here. Well, I'll do it here since you've thrown it out to Tommy. I remember like when I was in high school ages, like the 90s to the 2000s, I paid a lot of attention to music. I'd read a lot of, of magazines, watch a lot of MTV. All that. It was important to me. Oh, you got the magazines for the articles? For the articles. Oh, good. Not, none of the pictures. Denny would cut those out. Those weren't coming in our house, Jimmy. There uh, was a band called No Doubt. I'm sure you're familiar with them. No Doubt. No Doubt. And they got pretty popular and were pretty big with uh, Tragic Kingdom came out. And Gwen Stefani was the, was the front lady of the band. And they went on tour. Like, they, they came out. And they were this upcoming band, and they went on tour for like, I don't know, years with supporting that album, Tragic Kingdom. And there was an interview um, with her, I don't remember if it was the second album, it must have been the, well, not the second album, but the album after Tragic Kingdom, because they had a couple before that, some of us, some of us know, Jimmy, some of us, <laughs> no, no, but they had a, a deep cuts. Yeah, they had an album come out, and they were interviewing Gwen, and said, what's the difference between uh, this first major hit and this new album, and she said, um, I got a guitarist that can play the guitar now. And she said, they thought they were pretty good musicians at the time, but they didn't have that, that uh, I mean, they didn't have the hours in, they didn't have all the rehearsal, like, they they made the album, and they got put out on the road, and they went and they toured the world for, for years. They were professional musicians, and they hit her head. And I was thinking the same thing kind of as The Killers now, like, we had Hot Fuss, and we had Samstown, but now they've been on tour for, you know, over half a decade at least and learning this craft and getting more into being professional musicians, not just guys playing in Ronnie's garage for record exec executives that would come and, and try to get signed to a, a contract or whatever. So I think with this album and maybe part of what I didn't like originally about it is it's more polished. They're more professional. They are uh, professional musicians at this point. Like Brandon's probably developed... Um, somewhat of a style to to get his voice ready to sing. We know he has routines and different things like that. Ronnie can really drum. Um, I mean, he was drumming all throughout middle school, high school. We've heard all the different bands that he's been in, but now that's all that he's been doing. He doesn't have to go work down at the the chapel taking pictures. You got Dave really being able to play the guitar and Mark, all that, so on and so forth. And then you get these other musicians like you're saying, Tommy coming in. Now they can bring in a guy on saxophone and say, this is what we want. This is the sound that we want. So I think that's part of this album as well, is that it's more professionally polished. It's not just something that some kids could have put together in the garage, or these are the things that didn't make the cut. This is this is their first real spot to show what they're able to do. And some of that, I think you try to overachieve a little bit and say, see, we are, we are musicians. We do know what we're doing. And Rolling Stone agrees with us now. And it's kind of the... The system is coming to embrace them instead of me, Jimmy, are always against raging against the machine, right? So I, I think that might be a little bit with, uh, with because we do have not only different styles of music, it gets a little poppier in the album, but 
you have a a guy playing the saxophone on the first on the first uh, song. You know, it's this this is new for us as as uh, at least as the Killer fans. Yeah, I mean, Ted's credited it on three tracks with additional engineering, so you know the kind of quality musicians they're working with. Yeah, Ted. He's no he's been around before this, but Ted's no slacker. Uh, Brandon's not slacker. Ronnie's not slacker. I don't know Dave and Mark, but they don't appear to be slackers to me. So I don't know. I I think that's just kind of it. They're putting in the you know what, what's the ten thousand hours to become an expert at something. I don't know how many shows or or how many uh, live performances they've put in at this point, but they've they've arrived as a band at this point, and this kind of uh, smits them in my mind as three albums. Well, I guess if you count Sawdust, it would be four or my three or four. Anyways, they put out enough albums at this point that they're established and they're still producing new albums. It's not just an up and coming band. They they've arrived at this point and they're coming out on top. Like they're not this underdog that like watch out for the killers or bands you never heard of. Now they got expectations on them. This album is supposed to do well and it's supposed to commercially turn into success. It's not just like, oh good, we're glad it did well. As much as this is underrated for my by me, I mean, uh, I just found these the Rolling Stone readers, the readers top thirty albums of twenty two thousand eight. So a readers poll, it, day and age was number one. <laughs> there you go. Rolling Stone most underrated album of the decade, readers poll number six. <laughs> so, you know, it's been rec- highly recognized as underrated since twenty ten when it was recognized as one of the top or the most underrated of the decade, even though it was only two years old. But in the year it came out, it was rated the top album of the year by Rolling Stone. So it's been rated and not always underrated, but sometimes. <laughs> and even now, 18, 14, 16 years later, whatever it is, yeah, I, I've i definitely underrated it. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to go through. Um, there's going to be songs that we like better than others. There's going to be songs that other people listening like better than what we like. And there'll probably be, you know, some gray in between. So it'll be fun to go through it. If you don't agree with us, that's just fine. If you don't agree with our take on it, and it has nothing to do with Nephi, and it's all Vegas, or it's no Vegas, all Nephi, that's fine too. We value your opinions. Just make sure you give us a, a good review and put those opinions in that review. We've had a couple more come through since we've been asking for it, and it's appreciated. We've still got swag and all sorts of stuff to give away at some point, so... Don't be shy. I won't censor you. And if you don't believe that, go look at our Facebook. <laughs> I might if it gets too aggressive or whatever. But uh, for the most part, uh, we value everyone's opinions. And I don't expect everyone to agree with us or our guests or everything that we put out. That's fine. That's uh, not the point of this. So, Yeah, everyone's different. Some people are human. Some aren't. Some are dancer. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely room for everyone to get along, even if we don't. Agree. Well, Jimmy, with that said, it's another episode down from Lonely Town.